Hi, everybody. Bob Fisher here. It was 1972, best I can remember. I was a student at uh, VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University, in the music department, studying music there. Also working retail at Eaton Limited in the evenings, selling uh, small men and boys clothing, fine clothing, suits, sport coats, you know, the good stuff. And one morning, my roommate said, uh, he said, was reading the paper, and he said, hey, there's a comic book thing going on at the Executive Motor Lodge today. You're into comic books, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, remember, this was 1972. When he said, hey, there's a comic book thing going on at the Executive Motor Lodge. The Executive Motor Lodge uh, here in Richmond, Virginia, used to be kind of at the corner of Bird Avenue and Broad Street near Willow Lawn, the shopping center near Willow Lawn, which is where I actually worked at the time, too. Uh, like I said, I was going to VCU during the day studying music. In the evenings, I'd be working at uh, Etons and actually playing in a band, too, sometimes. So, you know, busy 20-year-old doing what 20-year-olds do. So anyway, my roommate at the time says, uh, hey, uh, this one morning, said, hey, there's a comic book thing going on at the Executive Motor Lodge. You're into comic books, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So um, I said, sure, it sounds like fun. I didn't know what a comic book thing was. Uh, you know, I'd never been to a comic book convention of any kind. There was no comic book conventions in 1972 that I knew of. So, you know, uh, the ad in the paper said stuff, you know, comic book convention. And it mentioned several of the deal, several people that would be there, which I didn't recognize any of their names. <clears throat> At that time, I didn't even have a comic book uh, store that I knew of. There was no comic a place, you know, I was still buying comic books on newsstands and wherever. But that would all change very shortly after this day in 72. But I said, fine. So I, I had a few comic books that I was willing to buy, sell, or trade. And that's what it said in the ad, that there would be seminars and uh, booths, tables, whatever, comic book selling, buy, sell, trade, all eras. So I had a few comic books. I had a dozen comic books or so that I was willing to part with or trade with and didn't know. I put them in a briefcase, and Ron and I took off and went to the Executive Motor Lodge uh, for this comic book convention. Well, when we got there, there was it was kind of interesting. When we got there, the Executive Motor Lodge, uh, in those days, it was kind of a motel, but it was really used more for meetings, business meetings, and conferences, and, and that kind of stuff. And they had several rooms, and it was a fairly good-sized place. Maybe two stories, but I think it was a a, a ground level uh, floor and then a down, but you would go downstairs. So it was kind of like a big open place downstairs basement. It, it, it's a little fuzzy on those details of <clears throat> the interior of the executive motor lodge. But anyway, when we got there, uh, you know, we, we walk in and, and sure enough, all the, you know, it was a big empty room, not empty. It was a big um, room. There were like card tables and some, of your library tables, et cetera, but, you know, regular table. But there was just a bunch of tables lining the uh, wall on pretty much all four sides and people milling around in the middle and talking and at the tables and stuff. But there were not, you know, thousands of people there or anything. There was, you know, there were probably more card tables full of guys with short boxes and long boxes on them and under them. Then there were people looking at them. But anyway, I uh, walked around. I met a few people, you know, said, hey, well, at least in Richmond now, there are some people that are into comics. That's kind of cool. And uh, I met another guy who opened uh, the first comic book shop that I went to and had a little box set, uh, Nostalgia Plus, which um, still in existence. They've moved locations around the town, but... Uh, they're back at Willow Lawn now, so Nostalgia Plus still going strong. So we, we stayed there for, I don't know how long, an hour or so, talking to people, and I, I did okay. I made a couple of deals for the comics that I had in my briefcase. Uh, when I finally found out what a Overstreet price guide was, I looked up and realized that I had made one good deal that day and three bad deals. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, hey, those things happen, right? But anyways, we were as we were, you know, spending our time there, I thought, well, this is this was kind of fun. But not, you know, didn't blow me away or anything, but it was fun meeting new comic book people. And as we were about to leave, my eye 
caught. Uh, you know, they had one of those little sandwich signs, little easel, little, you know, A-frame things, foldable stand signs there. And uh, it had handwritten stuff on it and uh, kind of a schedule of events. And it said, and whatever time it was, I remember that one of the things said there was going to be something I wanted to see, actually. And it was happening within the hour in the main conference hall. Okay, where's the main conference hall at the Executive Motor Lodge? Uh, Ron and I found it. We went and got there. Now, this is where it gets a little fuzzy because I, I, I think it was part of still, I think we we're still in the facility of the Executive Motor Lodge. But the, when we got to the main conference hall, big open space and rather tall because it, it you know, my memory, I remember the seating being like you would see in a gymnasium, the pull-out bleachers that you would pull from the wall. You know, it'd be flat up against the wall, and as you pull them from the bottom, they they form uh, bleachers. And the bleachers had been pulled out, and a, a section of the bleachers were roped off. And there was this long table at the foot of the bleachers with, um, I think there were two microphones on the table, and one microphone standing, uh, a floor mic standing next to the table. In my memory, this is again a little fuzzy. It was 1972. Okay, so a few years ago. Shh. So anyway, uh, Ron and I went and got in the bleachers and went up to the top. I went to the top back over to the left as you were looking at the bleachers up in the back. And we just sat there and watched as people started to mill in. And there was nobody at that table. There was nothing on the table, like I said, except a couple of microphones and some chairs behind it. And um, so we're just sitting in the bleachers and people started to mill in and, and, and whatever. And the bleacher, the area that was roped off, got fairly full, um, 50, 60, 70 people maybe. It's hard for me to remember. I'm, I'm, you know, trying to visualize in my mind something that happened so long ago and still trying to uh, <laughs> reconcile the idea that there were like gymnasium-style bleachers inside this conference hall, place, whatever. Anyway, I don't know, maybe it doubled as a gym. Who knows? But, you know, it didn't take long, 15 minutes or so. And then from across the floor on the other side, out of the sh- out of the doors from the back door, came a small group of people, five, six people or so. And right in the middle, there she was. There was no spotlights. There was no special lights. There was no music. There was no fanfare. Just a group of people coming from the door from across the thing. And as she started to walk towards us across the floor... And waved her arm, and then everybody started to applaud. And the applause got a little louder, and people were starting to yell and cheer and stuff as she came uh, towards that table. And she's smiling, huge smile, and just waving at everybody. And um, then a guy got one of the guys in that group. Uh, several of those people sat on the front row of the bleacher. Uh, but then, um, as memory serves, a couple of them sat in the chairs behind the table. And one of the guys stood up and walked over to the mic at the, or he stayed up, I guess, and walked to the mic that was standing at the floor, the the mic standing there. And I have no idea what he said. He started to talk on the microphone. I have no idea what he was saying or anything other than at some point he said the words, Noel Neal. (laughs) and the applause started again and she stood up and walked over used that microphone and started to talk and here she was it was her bright red hair surprised me i mean i was stunned i had never actually seen the adventures of superman tv show in color and here it was 72 i'd still never seen it in color because i had left my home i wasn't with my family anymore i was off to school i had a roommate but we, my family never got a color TV until uh, the late 60s, and it wasn't on the air anymore here in Richmond. Uh, it had finished doing its reruns as well in the mid-60s. So here she was, and she looked just the same. It was her. And she spoke for a while, prepared thing, and told some great stories, and it was really fun. She told some stories of, of uh, on set and uh, some of the people in her life and some of the exciting things she had done and the people she had met and some great stories about Jack and George and uh, John and Robert Shane, too. 
I mean, you know, it was a, and it was really fun to hear these, these, these great stories. So anyway, she talked for a certain amount of time and then uh, I took questions from the, the people there, did a Q and a and answered every question that anybody had for her smiled during the entire time. And uh, then the other guy who had introduced her came up and thanked her again and said, thank you very much for all of us to, coming out and then people started to leave but she stayed there at the table and as people were leaving we would get down the i didn't i stayed up at the bleacher tops for a while but as people were leaving the bleachers uh they'd walk by the table walk by her and and hand her stuff and she would sign it and was smiling and you could see she was waving her hands and nodding her head and and continuing to talk as people were leaving would walk up and talk to her and uh, I waited until pretty much everybody had gone. There were less than 10 people now left down there at the table when I finally made my way towards the table and got close enough you could actually hear without the microphone and stuff. And she was just having regular conversations with people and stories and, you know, and the smile again never left her face. And she was signing these things and just so sweet, you know, and then at one point, it got down to there was just three or four of us left, and uh, we were talking. Uh, I don't really remember what we were talking about, uh, but we talked for a few minutes. And the thing I remember is that I made her laugh. I must have said something that that was funny because she gave a real laugh, you know, uh, a laugh. You know, uh, she actually thought it was really funny. Not the smile that she had had on her face the whole time. She was obviously in a good mood or pleasant, but something I said struck her very funny. It might have been the fact that I actually said, you know, I don't get, uh, I don't uh, collect celebrity autographs and then scrounged and found a little receipt in my pocket or something and said, but would you uh, sign this for me? And uh, she laughed. Uh, and so she took it and and signed it, and um, you know by the signature a couple of things. One that I was already back to that eight year old kid again watching it. I was back to that little kid because uh, when she asked me my name, and at this point now I have I'm not in high school anymore. I'm in college. I'm working. I'm doing other things. I've got a band. I'm not little Bobby Fisher anymore. I'm either Robert or Bob. I'm serious grown-up guy now. But when Noel asked me what my name was, I was Bobby. So she writes, Hi, Bobby. Thanks. Noel Lois Lane Neal. I thanked her for it and left, you know. And there was one other person still there, uh, a young woman, was still there when I left, who was then talking to her. Pretty amazing. That was a pretty amazing little little time uh, because waking up that morning, I had no idea what a comic book convention was, let alone that by the end of that day, I was going to go to one. Small as it was, low budget as it was, there were people buying, selling, trading, talking comic books and toys and action figures and T-shirts I had found some people, and by the end of that day, I would have met my first Lois Lane. Not just the first Lois Lane I met, but my first Lois Lane. As we all know, Phyllis Coates was the first season of The Adventures of Superman, but the first live-action Lois Lane was Noel O'Neill, both in the serials with Kirk Allen, and then from the second through the sixth season of The Adventures of Superman starring George Reeves. What an incredible day and an incredible human. She's going to be missed. As you know, she passed away last week at the age of 95 years old. You know, and and, and uh, you see across Facebook and in many other places I was reading about her and people saying she had a nice long life. Good for her. And, you know, maybe I'm getting jaded, but now I'm at the point where even 95 is too short for some people. Noel Neal was one of those people. What a special, special human being and a great lady. And she will be missed. Rest in peace, Miss Neal, and thank you for all your work.
Superman Forever Radio, Episode 103, the 60th Super Spectacular Summer Celebration. than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, people believe tall buildings of a single bound, the instant of ship town is now the man of steel, Superman! Hello and welcome to the Superman Forever radio podcast. My name is Bob Fisher. This is a show where I talk about Superman from 1938 to the present and beyond. So welcome to this very special summer celebration that I'm kicking off starting with this episode. Now, what do I mean by the 60th summer spectacular super celebration? Well, basically, it means that I've been reading comic books and specifically Superman comic books since the summer of 1956 when my uh, older cousin, Butch, took me to my grandfather's barn and showed me a trunk of Golden and Atomic Age comic books. And right on the top was Superman number 43. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, I thought what I would do uh, for this great summer here of 2016 is talk every episode about something from the trunk And, you know, something one of my favorites to celebrate my 60th year reading Superman comic books. So uh, today we're going to talk about two firsts. The first comic, which was Superman number 43. And I'll talk a little bit about what's in there. And, you know, it's hard to remember the feelings or the story as I read it then as a four and a half year old. Uh, And then reading it again, you know, last night. So. Uh, It's very (laughs) interesting, shall we say? But also later in the show, I'm going to talk about uh, uh, the first comic that I actually plopped my own 10 cents down for. And uh, that happened in the same summer of 1956. And this is kind of what happened. And I'll, uh, you know, I'll get into this a little bit. I was going to talk rebirth and stuff because, wow, there is some great stuff happening in current comic books. Uh, It's fun to be reading them again. We're having a good time. And I'll get into all of that maybe at the end of the show or at some other point. But let's just say I'm really enjoying reading comic books again. And uh, uh, we'll see how long that goes. But really good. And by the way, uh, since this is July... They are already, people have already seen the extended cut. They're streaming the extended cut of Batman v Superman, the three plus hour version. Uh, The DVD will be released very soon. And then the Blu-ray on the 19th, which is uh, what I will be waiting for on the 19th. I'll be getting the uh, Blu-ray extended cut of Batman v Superman. So I'll be talking about that later. There is so much going on, but uh, I'll, talk about a lot of that stuff a little later, but right now uh, I'll get back to my story of why I'm doing a 60th summer super spectacular celebration. And I'll probably say the name of it differently every time, but lots of alliteration. But anyway, my cousin, my older cousin, Butch took me to the barn and there was this trunk full of comic books. And if you uh, go back to episode number 79, if this is your first episode, by the way, of the Superman Forever Radio Podcast. Welcome aboard. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. Uh, in brief, I took over the show from J. David Weeder with episode 79, which was my first episode. So if you want to hear my history and what leads to this very episode today and the series of this summer, I encourage you to download and listen to episode 79 of the Superman Forever Radio Podcast. So in that summer, as... Uh, the story goes, Butch took me to the gar- uh, to the barn, and in the barn was a trunk full of gold and what I call Atomic Age comic books. Should I explain that? Why do I call them Atomic Age? Uh, I call the period uh, basically between 1946 and 52 to 54. So that six to eight year time period there between 1946 and 54. I call that the Atomic Age uh, because we're really out of the Golden Age. 
characters are in the stories are much different than they were, specifically talking Superman. And so many other things have happened, but we're, we've just ended World War II, 1945. So we're just after World War II. And in that trunk, in that barn, right on top, the first comic was Superman number 43 from 1946. So very early, late golden age, early atomic age comic book. And uh, the first comic I'd actually seen uh, that had Superman in it, the first comic that I can remember seeing. And the first time I had ever really seen Superman in color, to my memory. Because the George Reeves shows, we were seeing them on a black and white TV show, uh, even in 1956. Uh, my family didn't have a color television in 1956. <laughs> you know, we had a very small black and white, you know, with an antenna aerial, and you had to hold it or put aluminum foil or twist it just the right way to even get a certain picture from certain channels. But I do remember staying up late. I was a late night kid, even when, as a little kid, when, when everybody else would go to bed. Uh, I, I was the kind of kid that even at four, five, six years old, when when the family was would go to bed, everybody else would go to bed, I would sneak back into the living room and turn on that television. And uh, so even then, at a very young age, I was staying up watching late night shows for as long as they were on. Uh, and in those days, at around 1 or 2 a.m., after the Tonight Show, or after some local programming, a late movie, they used to run old-time black-and-white movies and step on watch. But after that, at around 1 a.m. or 2 a.m., they would the TV stations would do a sign-off. They're gone. Bye-bye. Boop. Gone. Uh, but if you played with the antenna and you turned channels slowly and adjusted the little thises and thats, sometimes you could pick up channels out of town. And I would sometimes be able to pick up uh, Wavy TV 10 out of Norfolk, Virginia. They stayed on the air a little bit later, sometimes until 3 in the morning. So even from a very early age, you're starting to the point that I was a night person even then. But I had never seen Superman in color seen him in black and white and as i told the story before uh it was about time for superman to be on tv and i told my cousin hey let's go watch superman he said they don't get superman but if i wanted superman that's when he took me out to the barn and wow comic books so in this episode we're going to talk two firsts that comic we're going to talk a little bit about superman volume one number 43 from 1946 as I said, I'll be doing two first. So first will be the first comic I ever saw, which was, say it with me, Superman number 43 from 1946. But also later that summer, that, that very same summer, I plopped down a dime and bought my very first comic book from a store. Yeah. So, and, so here's how it happens. Manio, North Carolina is a tiny, 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 tiny little town. Think Mayberry. And in 1956... It was very small, but they had, uh, uh, in the downtown, it was a one street little downtown with a little turnaround area, uh, no stoplights, but the movie theater was downtown in, on this one little street, and it's a very small little movie theater. It, it you know, maybe holds a hundred people. I mean, it's, it's very, very tiny, small, but nice screen inside that little place. And it's a kind of old-timey theater. As soon as you walk in, a very small little counter up front and popcorn and whatever. But right next door to that movie theater was, and probably still is, a uh, drugstore. And for the time period, a very typical drugstore of the 50s. It had a what we called a soda fountain where you could go and get stuff to eat and drink. So on this particular Saturday, and this is this is how things worked in Manio because it was so small. We had a little, you know, a bunch of guys. I would get to go and spend several weeks every summer in Manio. Uh, I didn't go to summer camp ever. I went to Manio and hung out with my cousin and his friends. And interesting bunch of guys. So anyway, on this particular Saturday, as memory serves, this is the memory from a four-and-a-half-year-old or so, so... You know, uh, the, the details may be uh, <laughs> maybe a little all over the place, but 
the general idea and the general principle and the stuff is is accurate. So here is here is what's going on on a particular Saturday because this was very typical. Um, it happened many 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 times. So on this particular day, on a particular Saturday, I was given a dollar bill. Yay, a dollar! And went with my cousin, and we would go to see a movie in the theater, and half of the dollar was spent in the movie theater. 25 cents to get in to see the movie, 10 cents for a box of popcorn, 10 cents for a Coke, and 5 cents for Milk Duds. So there's 50 cents for, for the movie. Still got 50 cents. After the movie, went right next door to the drugstore, and... Depending on the time of the movie, I mean, if you went to an early matinee, then you might be going to the to the drugstore after the movie, uh, n- not necessarily to get anything good to eat, maybe, a, a, you know, a, some ice cream or something after the movie. But we went into the drugstore, and since now I'm aware of what a comic book is, my eye just went right straight to that little comic book rack. There, was a, there were, as memory had it, there were... Uh, you had you had a counter in the place, you know, like a, a food counter. And they also had two or three booths. And at the end of the back of one of the booths was a rack that had magazines on it. And at the end of the magazine rack was a little spinner rack. And with my new fascination, obviously, with Superman, I was looking, I was spinning that thing looking for Superman. And there was only one comic on that rack that had any Superman anything to do with Superman at all. And it was Adventure Comics number 228 from 1956, that summer. Uh, it's, a, it's got a September cover date, which means it was uh, shipped July, August sometime, but it was the only Superman-related comic on that rack. Uh, memory has it that there was not much on the rack, which makes sense. This was Saturday afternoon. By that point, it had already been picked over and the new comics for the coming week hadn't gotten there. So uh, uh, I still have that very same comic, the Adventure Comics featuring uh, the Superboy story. It also had uh, other stories in it. And we'll talk about that. So those are the two firsts we're going to talk about today. Superman number 43 from The Trunk, then I'm also going to talk about Adventure Comics 226, the first comic I actually bought off of a rack. So anyway, we'll get to both of those comics in just a second. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com So let's go back now to the summer of 1956. Just asked my cousin about watching Superman on TV. And he said, Superman doesn't come on there. They didn't get Superman on their TV. So he went out to the barn. He says, come with me. I am four and a half. He's maybe five and a half or six. Probably six by that point. Okay, so we're little kids. My cousin goes into the kitchen, chest of drawers up against the wall. Top drawer, left-hand side, was the key to the barn. The two of us went out there. He unlocked the padlock. We went into the barn. Over on the right-hand side, halfway down of the barn, was a trunk. And in that trunk, kind of a shipping trunk, packing trunk for shipping, the black kind with the silverish, gray, buckle, strap, uh, uh, lock things on it, and buckles. 
Open that trunk and dozens and dozens of golden and atomic age comic books. Comics from about 1942 to 1952 were in that trunk. And right on top, Superman number 43. The first Superman comic I had ever seen. Probably the first time I had ever seen Superman in color, to be honest with you. Unless I had seen something in the newspaper or whatever about the TV show, or maybe TV Guide may have had something in color. But I had never seen the show in color, and I don't remember ever seeing a comic book before that moment right there. And my cousin gave me that comic. I took it in the house, and my mother taught me how to read that comic book. Superman number 43. November, December, 1946. So, 10 years old was this comic book. And I was about four and a half. So, so there we go. That puts everything in perspective now. There are some very interesting and very cool things about this particular comic book. So, Superman number 43. This cover, we're going to start with the cover. Right on the cover. Right away. <laughs> uh, the cover shows uh, it's yellow, a flat yellow background. There is a picture hanging on the wall. Uh, there's no shadows at all on this cover at all, shading or whatever. It's a very flat, weird background color. But anyway, yellow wall. On the on the yellow wall is a picture, an oval picture framed of a guy that looks uh, like he may have just stepped out of a barbershop quartet. You know, uh, a mutton chop mustache with the big sideburns and uh, 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 stripy shirt is a picture on the wall. There is an old lady and she's uh, leaning over a table about to cut a birthday cake. That's on this old round table on the floor. There's a cat. There's also a parrot over there on this uh, uh, old looking chair that's got like the little lace uh, doily things that uh, ladies used to put on their furniture and stuff and that. And Superman is standing behind the little old lady with an interesting weird look on his face. His arms are behind his back, between his back and his cape. His cape is on the outside. His arms are behind his back, folded behind his back. And he is blowing out the candles on that birthday cake over the little old lady's shoulder with kind of a mischievous look on his face. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Okay. So Superman blowing out the candles behind a little old lady who's about to cut the cake and apparently in her apartment of some kind because... Uh, everything in there looks antique. He looks like it would fit her, not him. Okay? As Clark Kent, for example, if it were his Clark Kent apartment. And there is no text on the on the cover other than what I've already told you. November, December, uh, number 43, Superman, 10 cents. And nowhere in the three stories inside this comic does that cover appear or does the little old lady. Nothing. There is nothing about this cover Inside the stories at all in the book, nothing, zero, not a no reference to it, no comments about it, nothing. The panel doesn't exist in this, any of the three stories. Uh, the little old lady doesn't exist in the three stories. There's no birthday cake in the three stories, nothing about it. And uh, there's no credit, by the way, at, e- at Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics for the cover, who did the artwork. Uh, to me, it looks like John Sakella. That's who I'm going with, John Sakella. Now, before we get into these stories, because I want to stay on this cover just for a second, flash ahead five years to 1951. Okay, this comic was released in August of 46. Flash ahead to August of 51, and Action Comics, number 130. Hi, Bob here, editor's note. It's actually Action Comics 160. 160. Now, I'll probably keep saying 130 throughout the rest of this show. But you keep in mind that it's I'm actually talking about... The cover from 43, the old lady on the cover from 43, not appearing in 43 of Superman, but in Action Comics number 160, an older lady, this looking looks like her, appears in Action Comics number 160 in the story, Superman's Aunt Minerva. Okay, so I'll probably keep saying 130 
but it's 160. Back to the show. Has a cover story called Superman's Aunt Minerva. And it shows Superman flying away with mittens on and uh, a scarf and an umbrella and a little old lady uh, holding up uh, uh, galoshes, rubbers, things you would wear out in the rain on your feet. Used to be these rubber things. I don't know. They might still make them. I don't know. Uh, Rubber looking like shoes and you would just kind of put them over top of your normal shoes and then take them off. But uh, so she's holding them up there. But the interesting thing is, if you open that comic, Action 130, and look at the splash page, (laughs) okay, it looks like the same old lady from five years previously. It almost looks like the comic cover from 1946 from Superman 43 could have been a cover for Action Comics 135 years later because inside that is a story about Superman's Aunt Minerva. And Action Comics 130 was also one of the comics in the trunk that we will talk about on this very show at a future date. But what I've done, or will do, haven't done it yet, I will do it. Well, by the time you hear it, uh, it will have been done. Timey-wimey. Uh, I'm going to put some pictures. I guess they would be called show notes. I'll put them on the website and on the uh, Facebook page of the cover of number 43 and then the splash page of Action Comics 130, and you'll see what I'm talking about, uh, the two differences there. Very cool. Very, very funny. Good stuff. So back to now the actual comic of Superman number 43. There are three stories in this comic book, and we're going to only really feature one today. I'll talk briefly about the other two, and I'll tell you why I picked the one of the three stories to talk about, because it may or may not be the best story in the in, in of the three, uh, but I'll tell you why I chose that one in a second or two. But the three stories in this comic, uh, again, First Superman comic I ever read after seeing the George Reeves TV show. I'm a little kid. The only Superman I know is that TV show. Okay, good. In this comic, we have three stories. The first one uh, is about a wacky professor. The the inventions of Professor Thwistle, which is the story we're going to talk about in a little more detail later, right after this. And the second story is called Lois Lane Actress. And the third story is called The Molten World and features Lex Luthor. And uh, a little typo here or there. Uh, They spelled Luthor with an E uh, at least once that I noticed. But uh, very interesting. So anyway, those are the three stories in this Superman number 43 from 1946, my first comic book. Now, why did I pick the first story to go in detail? The second story is called Lois Lane Actress, written by Alvin Schwartz and drawn by Joe Schuster. <laughs> yes, sir. Joe Schuster. And it's a Lois Lane story. Uh, it's a, it's kind of a fun story, too. It's a, it's a good story. Uh, Lois Lane, briefly, this is what happens. Lois Lane pretends to be something she's not and helps foil a crime that was going on, saves a bunch of people and at a movie studio. And a producer, director, whatever, uh, studio muckety-muck was so impressed with what Lois did that uh, offered her a big part in contract uh, with his movie studio to make her a big movie star so that Lois Lane was going to be a big movie star. And then all these other things happen at the studio. And of course, there's a story there. And one thing leads to another and blah, blah, blah. All this other cool stuff happens. But at one point, Lois has to make a decision. Follow the story or sign the contract, walk away from the story and the crime and the situation that she was following, walk away from that and become a ma- uh, an actress. You couldn't do both. You have to either follow the story or become the actress and make all the big bucks. But you got to do it now, right now. 
Guess which one she does. Of course, it's Lois. She follows the story. It's actually a really fun little story for that, written by Alvin Schwartz and wonderful artwork by Joe Schuster. And uh, I think Gene Russo did the inking of that. Uh, the third story in this features Lex Luthor. I didn't know who Lex Luthor was. I do now. I mean, I didn't then. First comic book. So here I get Lex Luthor, too, in in a, uh, a very cool story. And this one was drawn by John Sakella. So in this first comic, I have three separate writers, and Joe Schuster drew two of the three stories. Oh, didn't I tell you who wrote the first story that was drawn by Joe Schuster? The Crazy Inventions of Professor Thistle? I didn't tell you? Oh, Jerry Siegel. <laughs> yes. The first Superman comic book story I ever read was written by Jerry Siegel and drawn by Joe Schuster. And it, it's kind of like, right, this one was kind of, even though this was written, you know, five years before the TV show was ever filmed and six years or seven before it was actually aired for the first time. This could have been one of the crazy professor stories, the crazy inventions of professor Thwistle, T H W I S T L E Thwistle written by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Now this was 1946. And as comic historians will tell you, Joe Schuster had a problem uh, that I am quite familiar with. Joe Schuster was losing his eyesight, and by '46, by the '50s, he he couldn't, he wasn't doing any artwork anymore. And many will tell you that during, even in the mid '40s, he would be doing some of the plots and outlines and sketches, but not really doing any serious pencil work anymore. But was still getting credit because the artists uh, that were part of his studio, he had a separate studio and they were independent contractors to a degree. They would sell their individual stories and work to DC at the time, but they were, you know, kind of paid, but considered independent contractors. So DC may be paying Joe Schuster for artwork, but Joe Schuster at certain point had his own studio and was paying the people in his studio, the artists in his studio, to then also draw for him. Uh, Wayne Boring came out of that studio. So by the mid to late 40s, it may or may not have actually been penciled in great detail by Joe Schuster. But the fact that my first comic is credited to Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster is pretty cool. <laughs> is pretty cool. Rocketed from the doomed planet Krypton, Baby Kal-El landed in Smallville, Kansas, where he was found and raised by the Kents. Growing up, he was raised with morals and values which would stay with him for the rest of his life. Now, as an adult, he protects the city of Metropolis and the world as Superman, fighting for truth, justice, and the American way. My name is Mario Benesi, and I host a show called Up, Up, and Away, the podcast dedicated to anything and everything Superman. From 1938 to today, I cover it all. From comics and movies to TV, radio, and more, you can bet I've covered it on Up, Up, and Away. Or I will cover it. It's kind of how these shows work. Now, this is a character that's meant a lot to me for a great many years, and this show is my love letter to my hero. So if you love Superman as much as I do, or you want to learn a little bit more about him, check out the show. It can be found on iTunes and Podomatic, as well as through Facebook. If you want to contact yours truly, drop me a line at mbenesi94 at yahoo.com. That's B as in boy, E-N-N-E-S-E. Up, Up, and Away is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network. After the theatrical cartoons, after the movie serials, a new medium helped define an icon for generations to come. The Adventures of Superman. Join Mike Zumo as the Man of Screen podcast enters the next phase with a year-long look at the 1950s television series The Adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves as Clark Kent and Superman. No comment until the time limit is up. Phyllis Coates as Lois Lane during Season 1. What are you afraid of? 
What are you hiding? And Noel Neal as Lois Lane starting in season two. Superman! What? Why did you wait? Jack Larson as Jimmy Olsen. Mr. Kent is Superman. John Hamilton as Perry White. Don't call me Chief! And Robert Shane as Inspector Henderson. I don't want excuses, I want action! So, follow along Mike and some possible guest hosts for an in-depth analysis of The Adventures of Superman, starting in June at supermanpodcastnetwork.com and manofscreen.podomatic.com. This is a job for Superman. I mean, I've got to find him. Look out, he's on the loose, he's coming your way. Who? Why, Hector Thwistle, of course. A dangerous criminal? No, just an inventor. Oh, so you think there's nothing to get alarmed about? Then you don't know Thwistle. Don't take our word for it. Ask Superman, the Man of Steel. He can tell you plenty about the inventions of Hector Thwistle. Our story opens in the Daily Planet, which is really where all good Superman stories should start. Uh, but they started the Daily Planet, where Lois and Clark <clears throat> are in a little bit of a jam. They can't get the goods on a local mobster uh, fraud who's, you know, doing all kinds of fraud stuff. His name is Joe Jipper. Yeah, yeah, that's his name. And he is apparently jipping people out of their money, but doing it so far within the law as far as they can uh, figure out. Uh, but he's a fraud. He's, he's uh, you know, uh, offering people something, taking their money, and then not giving it to them and keeping the money. So, But they haven't been able to get the goods on him yet. But while they're, you know, thinking about this, in comes a very interesting-looking little man with a big head and glasses and little tiny... Looks a little bit like Mixius Pitalik in the early days, but he's not at all him. Little business suit, little goofy guy. And he says his name is Hector Thwistle, and he wants the Daily Planet. He wants to meet with uh, Perry White. And uh, he tells Perry White that he's an inventor and he's invented all these great things and he wants them to do a story on it. And Perry says, okay, show us. And, and, and then it's just ridiculous that what happens. Some of the inventions he uh, shows an alarm clock that doesn't ring but shoots out a little feather to tickle your feet. <laughs> to wake you gently. Ski with roller skates for people who, I guess, want to do both. And a golf club for people who like to fish. So, you know, these are really great inventions, and the story's getting off to a great start. And now a great invention for typists who like to eat corn on the cob. Oh, great. Let's try it on Mr. Kent. And then he straps Clark Kent's head into this contraption that slams a piece of corn on the cob right up to his mouth and then spins it really fast. And uh, had he not been Superman, he probably would not have a lot of teeth right now. So the uh, inventor, Hector Thwistle, is questioning his own safe, his own, his, himself, saying, uh, why does this stuff never work outside my laboratory? This is terrible because I have to show a major demonstration to this major big deal thing this afternoon. And gee, what am I going to do? So he has an appointment to test one of his largest inventions at the Metropolis Theater. Well, Clark is concerned that uh, if one of the little contraptions by Hector Thwistle did that kind of a damage and could have hurt a normal human, uh, he's afraid of what a large invention might do at the theater. So he decides to change to Superman and uh, follow Hector, see what's going to happen. Well, good thing that 
Clark decides to change to Superman and follow Hector because he uh, wants to demonstrate one of his newest big contraptions. And it's uh, uh, an air dust cleaner gets all of the dust out of the air, but it goes terribly wrong and uh, starts attacking people. Superman has to save the day and then thinks to himself, okay, now that I've stopped the, the, the contraption, let's get the real story uh, from this inventor as Clark Kent. So he changes to Clark Kent and then interviews or talks to Hector Thwistle. And Thwistle admits, he says, I'm just a failure. I just really wanted to make enough money to send my daughter to college. And, and now I've really failed and I have failed. Uh, Hector is really upset. And he says, I just feel like I have cheated my daughter. I, I, I just cheated my daughter. And then Clark thinks to himself, wait, what? Cheat? Cheater? Joe Chipper. Of course, I've got an idea. So here's Clark's idea. Clark disguises himself by putting on a different pair of glasses and a mustache and then going to Joe Jipper and convinces Joe Jipper that he, Clark Kent, is not Clark Kent, but would have, I forgot the name he used, but that he is a really, 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 really rich guy, and he wants to invest in Hector Thwistle's amazing inventions. Is he here? That he'll pay anything, you know, and mentions lots of money. And Joe Jipper says, no, but I'll have him here at whatever o'clock. And uh, Clark leaves. Hector Thwistle then shows up. Well, Joe Jipper thinks, you know, the stuff is going to be real. And so Clark knows that obviously Hector Thwistle's inventions aren't real and they don't work. But this is what happens. Clark works out with Thwistle a plan to jip the jipper. <laughs> okay, so, and this is where we see a superpower for the first time, which was later used by Flash. But anyway, Hector Thwistle then shows up to Joe Jipper's place with his inventions. And then Joe Jipper says, oh, this is great, because he thinks, you know, he doesn't think they're going to work either. He thinks they're just stupid, but he'll be able to use this crackpot inventor to then pull scams on more people, get other people to invest in it and take their money for these crackpot schemes that don't work. Well, what he doesn't know is that Hector Thwistle will say that he has invented these machines that give a person superpowers. And he turns it on one of the guys, and the guy's able to lift a, uh, you know, big heavy thing, a desk with people on it, a, a big safe, and do all of these super feats. And how is he doing it? Well, Superman is vibrating uh, super vibrating, super fast, as to be invisible, not seen by normal humans, and is he the he's the one doing all the super feats, making it seem like that other guy is lifting and doing all the stuff. Uh, so Joe Jipper thinks now this stuff is for real, so he pays uh, the crackpot inventor real money. Mobster guy say, "Hey boss, what are you doing?" Given and and heck and and Joe Jipper says, "Forget the the racket. This stuff is real. We're going to make a fortune on this stuff." And of course, none of the stuff actually works. And then Superman comes back to save the day and destroys all the stuff. But Hector gets to keep the money, and Superman gets uh, Hector whistle a job in a traveling circus entertaining people so he can make money and send his daughter with the mob money to to college and all ends well <laughs> okay it's a really dumb story okay right but it is so great and there are so many great things about it not the first being that it's written by jerry siegel and drawn by joe schuster okay and uh, it's my comic and paper right here, right there, mine. And it was the first, and I have it. So that's pretty cool. 
but so many other things. Uh, the artwork in this thing. Let's talk a little bit about the Joe Schuster art, because um, I think it's it's just really typical Joe Schuster art. A uh, muscular Superman, but well, you know, looking good. There's several scenes, uh, not exactly a shirt rip, but a great scene of him taking off his shirt and exposing the ass and, you know, with a big uh, sunburst graphic behind him. It's just really nice. Uh, his Lois Lane is terrific. And there's a great scene right after the corn cob incident where a normal human's teeth would have been ruined. Uh, there's a great scene of Hector as he's leaving. He's putting his little hat on his big head. He's a cute little character. Uh, you know, little hat on his big head, walking out, wondering himself why his stuff is, never works outside the laboratory. And in the background is Clark sitting in a seat there acting all, oh, no, I've just been hurt. And Lois is... Uh, Got one hand on his shoulder and kind of rubbing his head like, you poor thing, you poor thing. Uh, it's a great little scene with the very next panel being the panel with uh, Clark changing to Superman and deciding to follow Hector. And then coming up with the whole scheme about uh, jipping the jipper, Joe Jipper, the, the front guy. And it all works out in the end and a fun, fun story. So anyway, that's our first look at uh, looking back to the summer of 56 and Bob's first comic book reading experience. A lot of fun. Gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring Superman and Batman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, the DC Comics Presents Show, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, It's Superman, the Schuster Herald Podcast, the Kara's Herald Podcast, Superman Forever Radio, Superman Lives, Up, Up and Away, Cadmus to Crisis, a Superboy Podcast. The Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen's podcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, Russell Bragg, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Bob Fisher, Chris Moe, Mario Benessi, Drew Wintermeyer, David Byer, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac. I'm Adam. Dave Eunice and co host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. That should just about do it. This is a pretty big episode this week. Some of the other things that are going on in my life that uh, you should probably know about because they relate to Superman and podcasting. Uh, towards the end of every month, check out the last day of every month for the Giant Superman podcast, a podcast I do with John M. Wilson. Uh, we take a look at the Silver Age through the giant 80-page Giants and that's been just so much fun, having a terrific job with that. And that's at giantsupermanpodcast.lipson.com. So check that out. Uh, also, I've been uh, making a few guest spots, guest appearances over at the Man of Screen podcast with Mike Zumo. Mike Zumo is going through his, he's taking a look chronologically at uh, Superman on the screen. He's now going through the George Reeves shows. And I've made a few appearances on those, so check those out. It's Mike Zuma at the Man of Screen podcast. Had a lot of fun talking about those episodes with, with Mike. Fun reading comic books again. I'm enjoying what DC is doing. A lot of good stuff happening. But that should do it for episode 103. Thanks for being here. If you want to be part of this conversation, send me some email. Bob at supermanforever.com. You can also check me out on Facebook at Bob Fisher and the Superman Forever podcast page on Facebook. We'll see you next time.
Superman Forever radio podcast is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, presented by the Superman homepage, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Superman is based on the original character appearing in Action Comics and Superman Magazine. Superman is copyright DC Comics. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. So join us next time for another exciting episode in the amazing adventures of the Superman Forever radio podcast. Superman Forever.